Hi, I'm Chinny. I'm Astrid. And welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that decolonizes history one story at a time. So we're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country and essentially appreciate the identity of each nation. Um, and through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. Hello and welcome back. We are back. We are back. I'm so excited to be back. Same. No, I am. Yeah, can't wait to get stuck in. We've got all sorts of countries we are covering this season. But before we get into that, we're going to do our African Pride. So this week's African Pride is Ghanaian amateur boxer Samuel Taki who won a bronze in the men's featherweight boxing in the Olympics, giving Ghana the first Olympic medal in 29 years. So, oh, congrats. Yeah, big him up. Um, yeah, it's, if you think about it, like, how has it been 29 years since, Ogane, you know, like, Ghana has won an Olympic medal? But I don't know how you feel about it, but you know when you see lots of Africans running for European countries, obviously as a result of what we talk about in the podcast. Massive um, <laughs> <laughs> <Must laughs> hint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're like, yeah, I'm sure definitely like other Ghanaians have won, but not necessarily representing their countries. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's bittersweet in a way, because I still cheer for everyone black, because that's what we do but <laughs> it's an interesting one. Oh, but yeah well done to him though is it with the olympics random question maybe this is something i need to google can you select which country you decide to go for obviously depending on whether you're living there or where whether it was kind of where you were brought up and we were born but can you select if you're like i'm sorry this is going to my country <laughs> well i guess yeah because you would choose so i guess if you're dual because I, I i could represent Britain oh you can do both Nigeria. see i lose mine ah, I can't okay. do dual. yeah they're like mm. either or you got to make your choice mm. and that's the thing because then you're like do i represent i mean i don't even want to talk about the nigerian olympic team because i mean yes we have managed to win some medals but you know the way that the federal government has treated athletes is is pretty dire so it's like do i do i represent my country but get treated poorly or do i you know represent the country that I grew up in I don't know it's it's yeah it's a difficult one and then with how we've seen with this has definitely been I don't like it you know when people are like it's a sm- summer of sports I feel like one of those sport pundits it's a summer of sport but like with the football and everything that happened with us we were doing well and then all of a sudden you know all of a sudden people remembered that they were black players <laughs> yeah and so that was the only thing people could see but um yeah yeah and it's an interesting one because then you have pretty pretty patel on the side that's asking you to go home but you know but it's like yeah our medalists <laughs> yeah <laughs> well done british if you win black if you don't but you know mm-hmm. true but no well done samuel freetown is the capital city of sierra leone a country in western africa You might wonder where that name originates from and think of colonists' general lack of imagination regarding naming locations within the continent, for example. Our favourite, Southwest Africa. Always a fave. (laughs) Always a fave. Freetown's name is rather literal, or you could see it as ironic, depending on how you look at it, um, because the name of the city comes from its history. If you cast your mind back to season one, we looked at how Liberia came to be. And if you haven't, try listening to Liberia before or after this episode, as it kind of helps put things into context. 
Liberia, which sounds a lot like free, Libra, you know, if you can speak a bit of Latin, you know, Libra, was a country built to repatriate freed Africans from the United States, basically, quote unquote, back to Africa, you know. Yeah. Um, and those Africans living in the region were effectively colonized by the Americo Liberians, as they were called, for about 200 years. Freetown's story is really interesting because there are parallels to this story. We're going back to the 18th century where the transatlantic slave trade was winding down as Britain realised it was no longer profitable. And yeah, it wasn't because, you know, they decided this is wrong. Um, <laughs> it's not profitable, so we've got to, got to be finding other ways to make money. African traders who sold people into slavery and European traders had a reciprocal agreement, landlord and stranger, respectively. Around this time, only Portugal laid claims to Angola and the rest of the Western African coast retained their sovereignty. And Europeans would settle in West Africa as they made regular payments to African leaders in return. Bear this point in mind when we talk about how Britain made their moves to make Freetown and eventually the rest of Sierra Leone into a colony. With the abolitionist movement, we often hear about William Wilberforce. If you went to school in the UK, as we did, he was probably overemphasized as part of the idea of Britain spearheading the end of transatlantic slavery. What you probably didn't hear was the how, because we love to talk about things that happened, but not how it happened. Another man called Granville Sharp was also involved. In 1772, he brought a declaration forward before courts saying that there was no law under which a freed person could be claimed in England by their former master and sent back to slavery across the Atlantic. Shortly after this, black refugees made their way to London after the American War of Independence. They'd held positions such as former sailors from naval ships or escapees from plantations. And Sharp formed a committee to help, um, inverted commas, these freed people, because we love a white saviour complex. It's been going strong, like 1772, mate. Like... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They've been maintaining. At least you can say there is consistency. <laughs> we did terrible things, but there is consistency. Yeah. Over yeah. centuries. This committee sounds all very well and good until we get to this point. The committee Sharp set up proposed that these formerly enslaved black people should, hey, here it is again, go back to Africa. <laughs> consistency is key it's key mm -hmm. you know, in a permanent home of their own the british government was anxious to be rid of this black community and they agreed to ship these people off to what is now known as sierra leone so the area that is now known as freetown was along an estuary with a wide river mouth containing a stream for fresh drinking water accessible timber for firewood and deep water across the southern shore for anchoring ships at the time this region was in the temne kingdom of koya Sharp went on to design this new settlement in line with Eurocentric visions. He wanted to set up a self-governing society, naming it the Province of Freedom. <laughs> Sounds like a Pocahontas sequel, doesn't it? The description gets worse. It, it was supposed to be the beacon of light amongst the darkness of the West African coast, because there's no sunlight there. So, oh, no, there isn't. There isn't. It's no, just all, no. all grey. It's all yeah. grey. Yeah. A bit like here, really, but you know. Mm -hmm. In May 1787, around 400 black settlers arrived in Freetown. Well, when I say settlers, yeah, they've, they've been placed here, haven't they? Yeah, they've been forced to... <laughs> It's not a case of, yeah. The British naval captain negotiated a treaty with King Tom, the Temne ruler, who allowed them to establish a settlement. 
After this agreement, the British ships went away. Now, King Tom was a subordinate to Nambana, the leader of the Koya Kingdom. And Nambana thought the treaty signed was a landlord and stranger agreement and that the Koya Kingdom still retained sovereignty in this area. However, Nambana found out that the treaty signed, and bear in mind, these guys don't read English. So the treaty that was signed in August 1788 declared that the Koya Kingdom would give up sovereignty over land and the rights were transferred to the new settlers. Right. Let's just... Yeah. Freeze frame. So they, right, sorry, but the British asked for this space or requested this space to send these black settlers because they needed to be freed and needed to have their own space. Why do you then also need to have control of the land? You wanted to get rid of the people. Like it literally makes zero sense. Yeah, yeah. But there's a vested interest as well. So we'll just keep an eye on them in case they find any materials that we can use. It just started off by sending a couple hundred people. Then all of a sudden, as you'll see, they then made a new country. Was this Britain's way of all along trying to get access to that piece of land because that's the only thing I can understand why they would then backhandedly be like oh yeah no we're just you know landlord stranger agreement yeah just one of those classic ones and then all of a sudden do this massive takeover and be like actually we do also want the piece of land well to be fair it was along an estuary it contains fresh drinking water it's got firewood you could anchor ships they were already probably scoping it out and being like yeah yeah that land is a bit of us Colonizers just licking their lips at that. Yeah, (laughs) just waiting for it. And actually having those kind of black people be in Britain and gave them the excuse, where is the freedom when I'm still under your control? Non-existent. Certainly heard about Liberia and that was linked to America, wasn't it? But we don't really hear so much about Sierra Leone and Freetown and Britain being, yeah, let's just... uh... (laughs) just put these black people here because we don't know what to do with them over here history repeating itself as settlers arrived in freedom province the rainy season kicked in before they had a chance to build houses and as a result many fell ill and died the new settlers also found it difficult to farm the land and they carried on bravely until 1789 when they foolishly sided with neighboring european slave traders in a dispute with king tom's successor king jimmy King Jimmy ended up burning down their town. Sharp couldn't rebuild the province, but got his rich mates to sort him out. In 1791, the Sierra Leone Company was formed in London to take over the land Niambana inadvertently granted to Britain. This was a company bankrolled by shareholders and a board of directors. In opposition to Sharp, they said the area wouldn't be self-governing. The freed settlers wouldn't be in charge, but would have to be governed based on the colonising handbook. Because oh. we've got to get that handbook out when we don't know Where what we're going to doing. Where is <laughs> it? You can just imagine them, these directors and boarders. Guys, he's got the handbook. Who's got the handbook? Where's that intern with the handbook? It's literally like the thick of it. Like, <laughs> the Sierra Leone Company. What is this? What's going on here? What is this foolishness? What is this? Something about a mountain lion. I don't know. Henry Thornton, no relation to the chocolate, if you're in the UK, was a banker in London and he decided on the area's new policy. He wanted to plant the region as a shining beacon of white Christianity and European morality. They do love the morality like narrative, don't they? The irony as well, it's like, yes, I am just, you know, persecuting and oppressing (laughs) people, but I am just, I'm a shining beacon. But I am a Christian, (laughs) so... 
The Sierra Leone company didn't want to be just benefactors of the system, but also moral superiors. They had both commercial and ideological aims, combining profit and philanthropy. Gosh, this has given me like Jeff Bezos vibes. Yeah, I was literally I'm thinking about it. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that Amazon fair share probably <laughs> did not stop that man from travelling to wherever he went because he didn't even go to space as far as I'm concerned. The idea would be that they'd use harvested vegetables in the area instead of trading human beings. The company took in settlers from Nova Scotia and Brunswick in Canada. British armies had evacuated these free black people here during the American War of Independence after fleeing from masters. Some had fought from Britain in the American War of Independence. In exchange for their service, they were freed and settled in Canada as a reward. They'd been promised land, but of course, this never materialised. The black population struggled with Canada's cold climate, sickness and increasing levels of racism. Discontent with their situation, they sent a delegate, Thomas Peters, a black man, to London. He contacted directors of the Sierra Leone Company, who promised a home. Peters went on to become one of the founding fathers of Sierra Leone. A thousand black Nova Scotians crossed the Atlantic in 1792 to their new home. Again, like previous settlers, they arrived during heavy rain, resulting in high mortality. Some opponents of abolitionists used this opportunity to justify why they thought abolition shouldn't be happening. Black Nova Scotians built the city known as Freetown. The Sierra Leone Company drew up the city's layout, basing it on North American patterns, so it had intersecting streets, houses spaced out on large plots, and urban designs distinct from neighbouring towns. The colonial architecture seen in the homes was very similar to Northern American builds, and this style remained popular for the next century. Sierra Leone company directors. It's like, it's like, is this just a country or is this a company? Imagine. But the directors, as we know, had a sense of, I wouldn't even call it a sense, like they, they, were, they thought that they were racially superior. The directors mm. went against their word, and even though they said they'd allow settlers some self governance, ultimately, they held the power. Policies were drawn up in London and carried out in Freetown by white officials. Nova Scotians felt this was very similar to their experience. What was the difference if they still didn't have their freedom? Yeah. They'd been promised land in Sierra Leone. And again, this, this didn't happen. Land is of importance when it comes to freedom. And many of the Nova Scotians felt cheated. A strongman governor, Zachary Macaulay, kept things under control, probably with brute force. But there we go. Once Macaulay left, the settlement lost control. Settlers drew up their own laws and an armed rebellion took place in September 1800. Unfortunately for those uprising, and fortunately for Britain, unfortunately for us, British transport arrived in the area bringing even more freed black people. These were Jamaican Maroons of Ashanti origin. First of all, they're in the wrong country. They, they should be in Ghana, but anyway. Britain just saw black and then we're like, <laughs> this, this will do. Yeah. The Maroons lived in the Jamaican mountains until they got deported to Halifax in Nova Scotia because they started an uprising against the British-ruled Jamaican government. In the end, these people got shipped to Sierra Leone, and generally, the Nova Scotians and Maroon people integrated with a unique Eurafrican culture. That's good that at least they were able to form a new identity and culture through this experience. Do you remember the Temne rulers? Well, they'd initially thought the settlers were paying rent as part of the landlord and stranger agreement. Once they realised these people were invaders, they grew hostile. They have feelings. 
needs to. These people have feelings. Like you can't just. Like, you, mean? you can't just be out here taking over the land. Yeah. Who do you think this is? In 1801, local West African armies attacked Freetown. The settlers were surprised but drove them away. A subsequent Terminate attack failed, and in 1807, they came to accept the settlers. No African force could dislodge the settlers, and a peace treaty was signed. This treaty gave full possession of the whole peninsula. I think it's just it was just their way of getting access to more land. It's quite, it must have been quite difficult to be like, in, in order to move things forward, I guess a peace treaty is the only option they had. Because even if they didn't sign the treaty, let's say, um, sorry, if, even if they didn't get, even if they didn't sign the agreement. I think, they, yeah, the treaty. <laughs> yeah. I just think there will always have been, a, there would have always been a way that Britain would have gotten oh, that yeah. piece of land. They were persist, like they were so persistent. Even France, when you, when we did the episode around Madagascar, they were pushing and pushing for literally for years mm. and they managed to get there in and got and took over. I just feel like there would have always been another technicality or another agreement that Britain would have found. A lack of a treaty wouldn't have stopped these people. Yeah. The Sierra Leone company were just on smoke. This Freetown and Sierra Leone colony is ironic because it is supposed to represent humanity, justice, freedom. They were talking about morality, Christianity. They were throwing all of the words in. <laughs> the buzzwords. But, yeah. It didn't represent any of those things. It stole land, got African chiefs to sign dodgy contracts and highlighted the false ideology of European superiority. Well, the last two kind of... Last two are a bit pertinent today, aren't they? Yeah. Dodgy contracts, contracts. false ideologies. We move. History, honestly, copy and paste. The Anglo-French Wars from 1793 bankrupted the Sierra Leone Company and the British government took full ownership in 1808. (laughs) (laughs) Of course it did. It was so wild. I don't know, you remember that time during the credit crunch when taxpayers apparently owned RBS or something? Can you imagine the taxpayer owning... Do you know what I mean? This is the equivalent of that. If the British government is owning a country, like the taxpayer have funded this. Mm. The taxpayer funded... Well, to be fair, the taxpayer was paying back. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say, the British government has done some actually extreme inappropriate and questionable things with taxpayer money yes my first ever job after uni was probably some of that tax went towards recovering loans from paying off slave owners i don't think any anything can surprise us at this point to be fair no definitely not sierra leone became a base in the anti-slave trade campaign intercepting ships carrying Africans illegally those freed were settled in sierra leone regardless of where they came from and only to sit under white supremacy. Britain's interception campaign saw the population double by 1811. In 1816, freed black people were more than Nova Scotians and marooned settlers combined. Even though they were liberated Africans, they were recaptives. British ships brought them in from all over the continent, as far and wide as Senegal, the Congo, even Lake Malawi. Those captured or liberated couldn't be repatriated to their hometowns. They ended up working as servants in European or settler houses in Freetown. Others settled in surrounding villages or became soldiers. That's the bit that gets me, is the fact that they act as though they're doing them a favour, but 
at the end of the day, they're not repatriated back to their hometown. So they've like lost that family. They've lost their community. And then only to go and sit under white supremacy. And for yeah. what? Just so that they can stop other, stop France from having more black people work in the fields in French colonies in the Caribbean, for example. Because I was just reading um, a book by Kahinde Andrews, really interesting. And he's talking about how one of Britain's motivations for this so-called sort of liberation was really because they wanted to stop their other European counterparts from making more money than them. They realised mm-hmm. that it wasn't profitable anymore. You can see that. And it's just, it's so, I'm so frustrated because a lot of these kind of Africans and Black people that were there, like, had, saw this as the kind of their way out. Do you see what I mean? Like, we've been yeah. through stuff like slavery and everything. And this is our opportunity to kind of, to start again. And... Yeah have ownership of our lives and have those families and everything but to basically go from one terrible situation to another terrible situation being lied to in the process and then the way you're being kind of given as your new home is actually now being owned by the people it's just and you know this is even this is even before the burning conference you know when they then decided to slice up the constant yeah (laughs) so we've actually gone like for once before the Berlin conference but there's still more madness that's just that's just how it is it's literally one illegal occupation after another one it is literally an illegal occupation that's yeah that's that's actually how to put it to be honest that's the best way that's the story of Freetown and how that came to be first episode of season four we are back I now feel like we're properly back let's go so yeah thank you for listening everyone we are so excited to be back we've got some really exciting we always say this but honestly just exciting things happening that we'll be able to share so keep an eye out on social media and if you're listening for the first time where have you been (laughs) 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 there's a lot of content so yeah dip into season one season three season two so mate never too late to join us um you can follow us on twitter at it's a continent and instagram at the continent pod and yeah we'll see you soon see you soon thanks for listening Bye. bye